Amen. All right, we're going to pick up at, uh, at verse 13. I would go back and review, but I don't have time to. Um, we came last week from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, we went back into Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up here now in verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, whenever you are reading the Scripture and you see, for instance, in verse 13, but now, that always indicates there's a reason why that but now is there. And Paul was telling these believers, these saints of God, these saints, uh, that though they were, Ephesus was a Gentile town, it was in what's modern-day Turkey today, and these were Gentile believers. And he says in verse 12, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were considered uncircumcised. You were called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcised, made with hands. And Paul is kind of doing a little play on words there. And he's saying, you guys... Because of your faith in Christ, though you may be uncircumcised in the flesh, you have been circumcised with the only circumcision that really counts, and that is the circumcision of the heart that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's declaring to them, he says, But now, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Peace is not just an emotion that God blesses us with. You guys watch, I know this is terrible. But any of y'all, have any of y'all fallen prey to this series that's on right now on Tuesday nights called V? Anybody watch V? Well, it's kind of a weird show, I know. And it's about these aliens, you know, that are hovering over all these cities on earth. But this one, and they're really, they look like humans, but they're really reptilian creatures in human skin. You know, the, the Bible refers to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, these are reptiles in human clothing, you know, appearing to be good, but they're really not good. And this, like, queen reptilian visitor, Anna, She's like the perfect picture of, you know, Lucifer, the angel of light, who appears so beautiful and so, you know, good, but, but really rotten to the core. And she can do this thing called bliss for her people. And she just like causes this peace to come over them. And they experience her bliss. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. Now, there is peace that we can have in the midst of our storm. That's true. But the peace that Paul is talking about here, when it says he himself is our peace, is so much more than just a blissful feeling. It's so much more than calm in the midst of my storm. It's so much more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling I might get. He himself, he is our peace. 
So oftentimes when we hear the word peace, we might think as an opposing word, stress, right? But, but this isn't what the Scripture's talking about here. He's not just the relief to our stress. This stress is not what he's talking about in relation to peace here. We might more accurately think of the word war. He himself is our peace. We were the enemies of God. We were separated from God. There was a hostile relationship going on here, and I was, whether I realized it or not, hostile toward God. Separated from God. And there was nothing I could do about it. So, guess what? You know what the good news is? Jesus Christ himself became our peace. This is what the scripture is declaring. He himself is our peace. That word peace in the Greek means to join. It does mean, it can mean all those other things, warm, fuzzy feelings, blissful feelings, peace and calm and tranquility. That's fine. But at the very root, what this word means is to join. It means to join. And he himself is our peace. doesn't just speak of a nice emotional feeling that I get. It speaks of that which was not joined, that which was separated, has now become joined. Peace has been made. He himself is our peace. Who has made both one? Well, who are the both? And we gotta, we got to remember who this letter is being written to, and we got to go back to the preceding verses, right, and see who Paul is talking to. He says, hey, you Gentiles, you who were called uncircumcised by the circumcised, you Gentiles who were called uncircumcised by the Jews who were circumcised, you are Gentiles in the flesh, separated from God with no hope, but now, but now, he says, what? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Who has made both Jew and Gentile, that which was separated, that which was hostile to one another, that which was at enmity with one another. He has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished having abolished in his flesh the enmity having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace he's reaffirming peace again So Christ himself is our peace. And he has, the scripture says, made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So there was a middle wall, there was a a a wall, there was a hedge, there was something separating Jew and Gentile. It was found in the law of commandments and ordinances. So let's go back. To our Old Testament 
And let's think about from the very beginning, not at Moses, but before Moses. So God calls Abraham, right? And he calls him out of his homeland and he says, you're going to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And at some point in time, and then God tells him, you know, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And he tells Abraham, he says, I want you to be circumcised and then I want you to circumcise all your children. Well, it was an outward sign in the flesh that distinguished him. Then we fast forward and we can go to Moses. And here is Moses and the children of Israel, right? And they're in Egypt. Y'all have all seen the movie The Ten Commandments, right? With Charlton Heston standing there with his staff and the Red Sea's parting. You know, it comes on every Easter. Watch for it. In about a month, it's going to come on. All right? That's Moses. He's there leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. They go into the desert, they come to Mount Sinai, and God gives Moses the law in the wilderness there. And in this law of commandments and ordinances, all of these commandments and ordinances, they distinguish a people God has called out. This called out people. And these laws and ordinances distinguish them from all the other Nations. The word Gentile literally means nations. So in God's economy, for instance, or or if we were Jews today, you have Jews and you have everybody else, the nations or the Gentiles. It doesn't really matter if you're Irish or Spanish or African or Scandinavian. If you're not Jewish, guess what? You're a Gentile. If you're not of God's nation, you are of the other nations, Jew or Gentile. So you have these two categories. And that was the mindset. And God created that mindset in in, in his people. He said, there you are, children of Israel, you're my people. You live by these commandments and these ordinances, and these commandments and ordinances are going to distinguish you and separate you from all the other nations. You are unlike anybody else. And so for all of those centuries, that's the way they lived. They kept the law of commandments and the ordinances. But God, through his prophets, declaring his word, also declared that this salvation was not going to just be for the physical descendants of Abraham, that this salvation was going to be for the nations. And so Jesus comes, and when Jesus gets there on the scene, Jesus begins to declare things. And he has these parables, you know, like there was a vineyard owner, and the vineyard owner sent his servants, but the people working the vineyard killed the servants. So he sent more servants, and they killed those servants. And then one day the vineyard owner said, you know what, I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect my son. And the son comes, and guess what? The vineyard workers kill even the son of the vineyard owner. And Jesus says, well, what do you think should be done to these guys who killed the son of the vineyard owner? Oh, they, they, need, to be, they need to be judged. They need to be dealt with. And so Jesus says, even so, 
the kingdom will be taken from you and given to another people. And it says they became so angry at Jesus that they wanted to kill him. Well, you know what eventually they did? They killed him. And the gospel Jesus preached shouldn't have been unknown to them. And this is why Jesus would say things to the Pharisees, the lawyers. You search the scriptures trying to find life, but they testify of me. In other words, you're not going to just find life by reading a book and trying to live by principles of this book. You're going to find life when you find the subject of this book, the object of this book, what this book was written to reveal to you, to make known to you. And it wasn't written to us and made known to us just so that we could have cool and good principles to live by so we could feel bliss in our life. No. It was written to us so that we could receive a revelation of the Son of God, the Savior, the Redeemer, the one who would become our very peace. The one, the only one who could ever make that which was two, one. The only one that could ever take that which was eternally separated and disjointed and now make it one. Making peace. And this is what's being declared here by Paul. And so Christ himself is our peace. He made both one. He broke down the wall of separation. He abolished it. He rendered it inoperative. That thing that separates us, the law and the ordinances. He didn't abolish it in the sense that the law is bad and it doesn't exist anymore. He rendered it inoperative in us because we can't fulfill it. That was the point of God giving us the law. You guys have heard me say this before. The law was not given as a system for us to become righteous. The law was given to us to reveal to us our inability to achieve righteousness. Because in and of ourselves, we can't keep the law. We can try to operate in it. We can try to make it operative in our life. But all it does when it operates in our life, it doesn't make us righteous. What it does is reveal our sinfulness. And it reveals our desperate need for a Savior. It reveals our desperate need for one to come and make peace where there is no peace. Hallelujah, church. Jesus has done that. He has come and made peace where there was no peace. He has come and He has fulfilled for us in Himself, in His flesh, the very thing that we could not fulfill. And that's how He abolished or caused it to become inoperative in us. It doesn't operate in us. It can't operate in us. It can only operate in Him. And it only applies to us as we what? As we find our life where? In Him. Now you'll notice, I won't go back, but I would encourage you, start at Ephesians 1.1 and get a highlighter and mark all the places where you see the phrase, in Him. You're going to find that everything God has promised us is... In Him. In Christ. Everything. Everything. And if it's, not, if it's not in Him, then we don't want it, we don't need it. And if we're not in Him, then all that He's promised does not apply to us. Has no benefit to us. We cannot tap into it. No matter how hard we try to live by the ordinances and the commandments of the law, if we're not in Him, there is no blessing, there is no promise, there is nothing that we can obtain in and of ourselves. 
It's only in Him that we find peace. It's only in Him that the two have become one. And He has made that which was disjointed joined together. So He Himself is our peace. Why? So as to create in Himself. (coughs) Look at verse 15. So as to create in Himself one new man from the two. To join, to set at one again. That word peace means to join or to set at one again. If, if, if myself and someone has a disagreement, we're not in unity, are we? We're not at one. We're disjointed. But when there's peace, that which was once one but became divided is set at one again. This is what this word means. This is what it's communicating. Why didn't the disciples have peace with Jesus when they were in the boat and the storm was raging? Why were they fearful? Because they weren't weren't one with him. Now think about it. If they would have been one with him in mind, in spirit, if they would have had the same mind as Christ, if they would have had the same revelation of, as Christ, if they would have, then they would have had the same peace as Christ, right? They would have. They would, if Christ wasn't fearful, so I, I, there's no reason for me to be fearful. But there was something, there was a disjointment there. And this is what happens in our life oftentimes. There's a disjointment there because we don't see ourselves, we don't perceive ourselves, we don't comprehend the reality that we are One in Christ, that he himself is our peace. He is our very life. Why am I fearful? John says we don't need to be fearful. We have boldness and we have confidence. Even in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world. Well, how does that happen? Because we learn how to really act like God? Because we learn how to modify our behavior to the point that we are really good imitators of God? No. As he is, so are we in this world. Why? Because we have been made one with him. Because he has created in himself one new man. Are you part of, are you a member of that one new man? So he himself is our peace. He abolished, he rendered inoperative that thing which separated us in his flesh that enmity, that hostility between Jew and Gentile, yes, that, that is in the law. Why did he do that? So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, thus joining and setting at one again. When God created Adam, how many of mankind were there? There was only one kind. It was mankind, right? Right? There wasn't Adam and then somebody else of another kind. I know there's all kinds of wacky theories out there, and that's just what they are. They're wacky theories. Okay? So it's okay to read between the lines sometimes, but sometimes we read way too much between the lines. So somewhere between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there are millions and millions and billions of eons and all of... Really? Why don't we just stick with what God has revealed to us in his word instead of trying to 
create something. And if we will study the whole counsel of Scripture out from the beginning to the end and see what God has declared to us that is called the gospel, it will just blow a hole in a lot of these wacky theories that people have. Because what God has done through Jesus Christ, by Jesus himself becoming our peace, he has brought us back to a place of oneness with him that was his eternal purpose to begin with. How do we know that was his eternal purpose to begin with? Well, we looked at this last week in Peter when it says, it was foreordained before the foundations of the world what Jesus would do. So John says, Behold, in John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. The book of Revelation refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. Why was he slain? He was slain to be our peace, to make both one, to destroy the enmity, to render inoperative that thing that separated us, thus making peace. It was God's eternal plan, God's eternal purpose, what? that those who are in Christ would be at peace with God. He also did this, it says in verse 16, and, remember, so as to create himself one new man, and that he might reconcile them both to God. Where? In many bodies? In in many expressions? Uh Uh-uh. In one body. There are not many expressions of God. There's only one expression. It's Jesus Christ. There are many members, but all of those members must express the one life, who is Christ. There are many members to your body, right? But all the members of your body are expressing one life, one kind, one man. You are members of his body, Paul says. You're not out there expressing yourself. Honey, if you've been saved, bought by the blood of the Lamb, crucified with Christ, the only thing we are to express is the life of the one. The one new man. Me and God don't have our our own thing going. If, if, If you're living in that illusion, you better get out of it real quick. Because God's only got one thing going. It is Christ Jesus. There's only one life, it is Christ Jesus. There's only one man, it is Christ Jesus. There's only one holy nation, it is Christ Jesus. There's only one royal priesthood, it's in Christ Jesus. There's only one special people that he has purchased for his very own, called peculiar in your King James Bible, doesn't mean we're weird, it means we're special. How do we become special? Because we were redeemed by the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. This is good news. This is the gospel. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby having put to death. That that phrase in the Greek, I love it. It means to slay. Having slain. It's like slaying the dragon, right? I mean, I don't know. Guys, it's like, There's a difference in my mind between putting something to death and slaying something. There's just something more adventurous about, let's go out and slay something, you know? 
This is the word that is used here. God slayed. I mean, he has slain that thing that separated us, that disjointed us, that made us hostile, that made us enemies. He he has slain it. Where? At the cross. Jesus utterly defeated everything that separated us from God at the cross. Having slain the enmity. Now this word enmity in verse 16. In verse 15 the enmity referred to between Jew and Gentile. So now there's one man, one nation brought together. The both have been made one where? In Christ. Now this is why Jesus commanded us to love one another. This is why at the council of Jerusalem, they said, look, we can't, we can't look at these Gentiles as substandard, as subpar, because they're Gentiles. Because now in Christ, we have all become one. They don't have to live by the law. They have to be in Christ. The Jews had the liberty to continue to keep the law, but the Gentiles were under no obligation. Why? Because the law is not fulfilled in man. The law was fulfilled where? In Christ. The ordinance, the commandment that divided us, that was the middle wall, the hedge of separation, it was abolished, rendered inoperative where? In Christ. This is what Paul is saying. Rendered inoperative there. And so now God has made peace between not only Jew and Gentile, but in verse 16 he says, he has also abolished the enmity that existed what? Between God and man. Now, we can go back to, we can go back, but now God's going all the way back to the beginning. He didn't just take him back to Moses. He didn't just take him back to Abraham. Here he has taken us all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the garden when man ate of the forbidden tree and became separated eternally at that moment from God with no hope of ever being joined to him again. Do you realize that, church? This is what the scripture means when it says, he made a way where there was no way. There was no way for man to be joined again, to be at peace with God when the fall took place in the garden. No way known to man, but it was known to God. It was known to God before man was created. It was known to God before the first star was created. It was known to God before the foundations of the universe were thrown out there and laid out. It was known in the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Ghost that the Son would be the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. God knew exactly how He would bring man into a oneness and create in Himself one new man. This has been the eternal purpose of God for all eternity. And so through the cross, thereby having put to death or slain the enmity between God and man. There is no more enmity between God and man in Christ. Man's not going to have to pay for all of his sins. Christ already paid for those. But I'll tell you what, what man will answer to, and this is what John, go 
hold your place there. Let's go to John 16. John 16, verse 8. Jesus, this is hours before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his crucifixion, his departure, and he's telling them, look, it's to your advantage that I go because I'm going to send the Comforter, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, John 16, 8. When he has come, he will, who will? The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, singular, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, why? Because they do not believe in me. You know what sin men will answer for? It is the sin of not believing in Christ. Do you know what's going to sin men into eternal separation from God? It's not trusting in Christ. When you came to faith in Christ, you became joined. Peace was made. You didn't make the peace. God made the peace. And he didn't make it that moment you believed. He made it before, he, before time began. This is what Ephesians 2.10 is declaring. This is what the Scripture is declaring. It's the mystery of God. But yet, at some point in time, we have to, through faith, enter into what Christ accomplished for us before time began. You can't enter into it Apart from faith, you must believe. What I'm communicating to you today is what it is you must believe. And what it is you're putting your hope and your faith and your trust in. See, what God has given to us, the hope and the promise that He's given to us, is not just one day when we die we're going to get to go to a place and experience eternal bliss. It'll all be good there. I mean, that's great, but I want you to realize that's a very shallow view of what God has done for us. Heaven's not our peace. He himself is our peace. Heaven's not our joy. Christ is our joy. Heaven's not our life. Christ is our life. It's not heaven that we should be looking for. It's Christ that we should be seeking. Praying to be revealed to us. Well, he was revealed to me, you know, when I got saved. Now, he wants to be revealed to you moment by moment, day by day. This is an eternal revealing. Why? Because he is an eternal God. So Christ himself has become our peace. Not just peace with one another, but peace with him. And if I have peace with him, this is the point of John's epistle, 1 John. If you have peace with God, if you love God, then why don't you love each other? Why aren't you at peace with one another? Don't tell me you love God if you're feuding and fussing with one another and you're not loving one another. Because if you can't love one another, how can you love God? If you can't love one another, then the love of God's not in you. Kind of strong words, isn't it? You see how they go together? Christ himself is our peace. This way, 
that way, any way you want to point it, he's our peace. And if I have been reconciled to God, then what is keeping me from being reconciled to my brothers and my sisters? So we kind of, I think, get this picture in our mind, you know, like little Jacob and Johnny now have Jesus helping them get along together. Finally, there's peace. Jesus is not a cosmic nanny helping us get along together. Okay? He's not the cosmic nanny up in the sky overseeing all of his children. And Now, come on, kids. You know I died for you on the cross. Y'all need to love one another. That is, do you realize how disjointed that picture is? You know why my right hand doesn't war with my left hand? Because they're both submitted under the headship of this thing right here. Because my head inherently because of what it is, because of who I am. Inherently, this body was not created to be opposed to itself. So my right foot's not kicking at my left foot. And my right knee's not kneeing my left knee. I'm not, that doesn't happen. In the body of Christ, there's one life, one expression, it's Christ. Many members. Jesus, He Himself is our peace. He came to slay the enmity between men and between God. And so to create in Himself one new man. Christ being the head and believers being the body of that one new man who is Christ. You realize the body is Christ. We are the body, but the body is Christ. We're not a body separate from Christ. We don't have the body of Christ over here and Christ over here. The body is Christ. And the life of the body is the life of Christ. So I want you to see this picture of unity, of one life, one expression. Verse 17, and he became, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access, Jew and Gentile, those who were far off, those who were near. We both have access. We both, that word access in the Greek is a, is a word that means you have been given the privilege to have an audience with the sovereign. Can I see the king? No, your access has been denied. This word access means that we have been brought into a place to have an audience with the sovereign. In other words, the king has opened his door to us and invited us to come in and have fellowship with him. How has the king opened his door and invited us to come in and have fellowship? By, by one spirit, by the spirit of God. What does that mean? That means because I now possess that self-same spirit that raised Christ from the dead because that is the life that is in me. That is the thing that defines my life, who I am. God has privileged me now by His Spirit to have access, to gain access 
to the Sovereign, to the King of kings, and to the Lord of lords. For through Him, through Christ, we have access by one Spirit to the Father. John 14, 6. Show us the way, Jesus, His disciples said. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to, gains access to the Father, but through me. And it's not me and Jesus walking into the room to see the Father. There's only one man that gains access to the Father. Guess which man it is? It's the one new man Paul's talking about right here. So when I walk in to see the king, guess what's walking in with me? My hands, my fingers, my toes, my feet, my knees, my elbows. Even though I've got ugly feet. And my elbows might have dry, scaly skin. They still get to go in with me. You know why? Because they're members of me. We get to go in to the Father. Why? Because we're members of Christ. Because we have been brought into His body. Because He is our life. This is what Jesus is declaring in John 14, 6. Not with Him, but in Him and through Him. One Spirit is, one, is the one life expressed in many members. Many members of one body, whose body is Christ. Verse 19, now therefore. Remember, you need to know why the therefore is therefore. Now, therefore, now what? Now having been made one. Now having become a member of the one new man. He has created in himself one new man. Now, because you have access through Christ by one Spirit to the Father, now, therefore, because of what Christ has done, because Christ Himself is our peace, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There in verse 19, that word stranger is a word that literally means alien. Now let's go back to my V example. They look like humans, right? But looks can be deceiving, right? They're not human. They're reptilian. They're aliens. They are not of our kind. They are of a different nature altogether than what we are. This is what this word means. Paul says, you Gentiles were once aliens of a different kind You possessed a totally the wrong nature. But now, because Christ himself is your peace, because he has made both one, he has reconciled not only Jew and Gentile, but he has reconciled mankind to God. And he has given you access to the sovereign by one spirit through the Son. Therefore, you are no longer an alien. You are no longer of a different kind. You no longer have a different nature. In Christ, you have become partakers of the divine nature, Peter says. You're no longer aliens. You're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer just one who makes his home alongside, but you have no benefits of citizenship because you're not a citizen. A lot of people can come to church week in and week out. They may look like Christians, 
They may call themselves Christians, but the question is, are they truly citizens? Have they become fellow citizens and members of the household of God? How does that happen? That happens by grace through faith. That happens by the power of God transforming and changing a lot, causing someone to go from an old creation to a new creation. Causing someone to go from death and sin. Remember Hebrew, uh, Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in trespasses and sin, but he has made you alive. How does that happen when we're born again? Foreigner. One who makes his home alongside but does not rank as a citizen. In Christ, we are no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens of the kingdom with with privilege. You have privilege. You have access to the sovereign through the Son by one spirit. We're now, he says, now we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's gospel. That's good news. Do you you see yourself? Do you comprehend your salvation in that way? Or do you see yourself just trying to do the best you can to make it here on earth, hoping you make it to heaven one day? Unfortunately, I know a whole lot of Christians, that's their mentality. Well, I hope I make it to heaven one day. I'm doing the best I can. I hope one day when I die, God's merciful to me. You know, I hope I don't have to spend too much time in purgatory. In limbo, you know, I'm praying to all the saints I can to see. Look, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter what denomination. You may be sitting here right now hoping one day I make it to heaven. Hope God's graceful. Now, do you know? Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know that you're in the Son? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know that He Himself is your peace? That the two have become one and He has reconciled. He has abolished and destroyed. He has slain that thing which created the hostility and the separation and the enmity. Do you know that? That that was done at the cross in Christ Jesus. And if you now have been born again and you are that new creation of God in Christ, this isn't a hope so, maybe so proposition. This isn't God saying, well, we'll see how you do when you get to the end of your life. We'll just see, you know, how it all works out. Uh Uh-uh. It was already worked out before the foundations of the world. There's no question here. If you're hoping you get to hang on to the end, you need to realize the hope, the real hope, the true hope that this scripture declares right here. This is what Paul is saying. In Christ, we're no longer foreigners. We're fellow citizens of the kingdom with privilege. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What's what's been built? This people, this church, this called out assembly, this called out, these called out ones have been built. This harkens back to what we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter says, as coming to Christ as this living stone, and you also as living stones are being built up a holy habitation of God in the Spirit. You also as living stones are being built up To do what? To present your spiritual sacrifices to Him. It's a picture. The symbolism is of the temple. We go into the temple and we present our sacrifices. Peter says, you are that temple. You are the temple God is building. You are the sacrifices that are being offered. It's the 
thanksgiving, that is the fruit of your lips, offering up thanksgiving to God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner or the chief cornerstone. So we have a foundation and we have a cornerstone. Two very important things if you're going to build something. You need to have the proper foundation and you need to have a cornerstone. You have a foundation and you have a pattern. Christ is the foundation and he is the pattern. And Paul says the foundation built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Who are those guys? Those are the guys who wrote the Bible. It's not the guys running around today calling themselves apostles and prophets. We can get all, maybe those gifts still exist in, in a form, but they don't exist in the form that Paul is talking about right here. No one is writing scripture anymore today. That's why we don't call ourselves Mormon, okay? God bless the Mormons. But I'm going to tell you what, Joseph Smith did not write scripture. The canon of scripture is closed. Who wrote it? The apostles and the prophets wrote it. The Old and the New Testament complete what we have right here. This is the foundation that you are being built on, and Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's the pattern. He's the thing that's going to make sure it's all square and it's all lined up the way it's supposed to be lined up. And you are living stones that God is building up into this building, this temple, this structure that's not being built with the hands of man, but it's being built by God himself. Where? In Christ. Well, y'all should have shouted on that one right there. Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, the foundation and the pattern. Verse 21, in whom? In whom? Now, I want you to see that. You should highlight that. In whom? What is that? In Christ. Where is this thing being built? In Christ. Where is this building going on? Where is God erecting all this and, and preparing all this? It's in his son. It's Christ. It's in Christ. Remember what I said? Paul started his letter. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing where? In Christ. In Christ. You're not going to get built one day. Honey, you're being built today. You're not going to get saved one day. It's not, we'll wait and see what happens when I die. No, if you're in Christ, the promises are yes and amen right now, right where you are. Yeah, but I don't see them, Pastor Jeff. Well, quit walking by sight and start walking by faith. Quit believing what you see and start believing what this word declares. Stop looking with your natural eyes and start seeing by the Spirit and by faith. In whom the whole building being fitted together. I love that, being fitted together. You know, Jesus is not a carpenter that says, oh, you know, that board, just that angle's not quite right. Just take a sledgehammer, it'll, it will make it fit. No, I mean, he, 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 he cut it to perfection He's building it to perfection. He is fitting it all together according to his plan and purpose. This is the sovereign God whose name is above all names, who is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.19. We don't realize the significance of that verse. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
We're the temple of God in Christ. We're not a temple on our own. It's only in Him that we become the building that God is building, the temple that He is building. It's only in Him that we become living stones that are being built up into this holy habitation. In Him, in this temple, we offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Why? By Christ. By Christ. What are those sacrifices? Hebrews says it's the thanksgiving that comes from your lips. Paul says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. It's who you are. It's who you now are in Christ. It's you expressing that thankfulness, that love that was poured out to you, poured back out to God. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We have a temple and we have a dwelling place. They're both in Christ. You see the picture here, the dual picture? There's things you do in a temple, and there's things you do in your dwelling place. The temple is where we offer sacrifices acceptable to God, but the dwelling place is where we abide. It's where we find our place of rest, our place of abiding. Our rest is where? It's in Christ. Our abode, our dwelling place, where is it? It's in Christ. In Him, we find our abode, our dwelling place, our place of rest. In Christ, we find David's desire, Psalm 27, 4, that I could live in the house of the Lord forever. We find David's desire, where? In Christ, who is our dwelling place. And we are being built up, what? A dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It's a picture of, of the vine and the branch. The branch abiding in the vine and the vine abiding in the branch. Me abiding in God and God abiding in me. Being built up a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What a beautiful picture. We are the new creation in Christ. The one new man He created in Himself. He Himself is our peace as He has made peace and brought us into Himself. How? By grace. If you trust, if you believe Christ, this is your salvation. This is your peace. This is what Paul declares in Corinthians. This is what eye could not see. This is what ear could not hear. This is what could not enter into the heart of man, the imagination of man. What God has done for us in Christ Jesus was beyond human imagination and comprehension. And he goes on and he says this before that. He says, had the rulers of this world known. It was beyond their ability to see, to hear, to know, to comprehend, to even imagine. Had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This is the eternal plan and purpose of God. This is your salvation, church. This is who you are. This is who you are. In Christ. He himself is our peace. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Well, Lord, we certainly live in a world today 
in which there is, a, there is much need for your peace. And Lord, I know peace is a very comprehensive word. But Lord, unless we grasp by the Spirit the peace that you have become for us in making the two one, in joining us, in making us one in Christ, unless we grasp that peace, Lord, there is no peace. There is no other peace. It must begin there. Father, today we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and the eyes of our understanding and reveal to us what you have declared in your word when you declare he himself is our peace. That we are the new creation of God created in Christ Jesus. Lord, that you would reveal to us what it means that the old has passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And that newness is in Christ because Christ is the newness of all things. And I pray, Father God, that you would open our eyes and our understanding to that. And out of that revelation, God, we would experience a peace that passes understanding, a peace that would guard our hearts and guard our minds, a peace that would cause us not to be anxious in the face of any situation or circumstance. We have that assurance and we have that promise, Lord, because you are our peace. Because we are no longer your enemies. There is no longer a hostility that exists between God and man. That has been satisfied in Christ Jesus when he took the wrath that was rightly ours. And we are so thankful for that, God. And I pray today, Lord, for your people. That they would have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. The good news of the gospel. That we would not see these things and think of these things in shallow ways. But we would think of them and perceive them in the proper way. Trusting that you would give us the revelation we need. Day by day, moment by moment. Lord, we pray once again for the Patchkey family. Lord, even as we've talked about peace, we thank you, Lord, for their peace. The peace of knowing that, Lord, when we depart this earth in Christ... Lord, we know where we go. In the peace, Lord, of knowing that those that remain and are left here on this earth, Lord, have the assurance and the promise of where their loved ones are and that you, Lord God, have given us peace and given us your spirit to be our comfort and our help. We pray this over this family today and over all the friends and all the loved ones that are mourning. We thank you, Father, for this and so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great day. If you could stay uh, and help, it would be so wonderful uh, to pull ch uh, tables in here.